0: Thank you for joining us on Community Focus this morning, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. When you drive through Miami, you see so many interesting things and have so many experiences that you can enjoy. This all contributes to our economic stability and our reputation globally as a destination And part of the organization responsible for this is the Miami DDA, the Downtown Development Authority. Very excited to welcome CEO Executive Director of the DDA, Christina Crespi. Thank you for joining us on Community Focus. Thank you for having me, Ellen. You must be very busy because Miami is just constantly doing new things, presenting new events and new artwork and everything so much on the cutting edge of what's happening in the world. How did you come to be the head of the DDA?
1: Well, I personally have worked in government for over 15 years at the county mayor's office. And then my coach and boss from a previous life welcomed me to the DDA to do government relations. And I just have been at the agency for now eight years and worked my way up to the top really was a uh, train from within what is Born it? A race in miami
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay so you must really get a lot of gratification having grown up here and now being really impactful in helping to contribute to the economic stability of the city and just the wonder of miami
1: very rewarding to see how it's evolved. I always say that you know miami Being born and raised here is really like a teenager coming into adulthood, and it's happening right before our eyes.
0: And you're a big part of it.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: What is the DDA's general mission?
1: We are the economic development agency for the city of Miami. So our mission is to ensure that downtown's thriving, that we're providing a global destination for business, and that we're also helping at the street level. We are now an official community. We have over 115,000 residents and 250,000 daytime workers. So a very dense area that is really just changing before our eyes and really welcoming not only its residents, the tourists, but also taking care of its locals with this downtown collaborator grant that we'll talk about in a bit.
0: Well, let's talk about it right now. <laughs> right, it. This is a big deal. You've got $50,000 grants available for people who can contribute to this, collaborators. Let's start with what exactly is the project about?
1: The project's really to support innovators, right? And those visionaries that want to see the arts and culture scene come to fruition. And so it started with street stages and doing music on the street during the pandemic. And we started to program different art galleries on Flagler Street as we began the reconstruction to really bring people back to downtown Miami. And that's really ignited the culture and artistic community to really band together to apply for these grants. And what it's about is activating, whether it's outdoors and we want to activate an art exhibit outdoors or at one of our venues indoors, it's all about bringing people to downtown Miami and ensuring that our economy is thriving through arts and culture.
0: Can you give us an example of some of the past initiatives that have been granted for people who just aren't quite sure what exactly you're looking for?
1: Sure, yeah. We've had several different grants Music Miami is a big one. Busker Fest, the Brickle Run Club, it even gets to that point of community building within health, right? So it's not just about arts and culture. It's also about bringing community together. We've done the Miami Opera. We are going to be doing some shows on the street on Flagler Street through this process, which I'm really excited about. We really want to bring to light and to life Flagler Street, almost like a new Lincoln Road for Miami. And so just bringing that community together to thrive. Our grants are anywhere from $5,000 to $50,000, and it goes through a competitive process. The process is open now through July 31st. So the clock is ticking, and we're just really excited to see what type of visionaries come out to create this energy that we're so proud
0: of. Are you allowed to give a preview of some of the things that have been offered to date, or is it all kind of secret until you make the decision on who gets the grants?
1: Well, it is a competitive process, and it is a public process. So although we are subject to public records law and anybody can ask throughout the process what type of applicants are applying, we really like to keep it quiet until the end. But I will say that we've increased our budget thanks to this thriving economy in downtown Miami. So we're able to provide more grants than we had in the past, which is a really great opportunity, which means that there's going to be a lot of growth in this area to be able to activate downtown.
0: To me, it's funny to hear you talk about growth in this area because I think Miami is already so huge and so well-known. But is there a particular image that you're looking to project?
2: Yeah,
1: we really want community building, family programming, programming that promotes downtown Miami's history and culture education. We want to support awareness around our public transportation options, you know, how to park in downtown and maybe it's activating, you know, different parking lots so people realize how to get around. You can get in a maze driving around downtown sometimes. So we've had some unique proposals around that in the past and really around the history and culture of telling that story. Being born and raised here, I feel like we didn't really learn how Miami became who Miami, who she is becoming, right? Right. Founders Julia Tuttle and Henry Flagler, if it wasn't for Julia Tuttle, woman, we probably would never have had this growth and have this thriving city that we do. So we are really big on telling that story about the history of Miami to bring pride back to not only our natives, but to those that are moving here from other places so that they can also have a sense of pride and a welcoming effect that Miami is. It's the culture that we are trying to create here that exists.
0: It's really fascinating. I've been here since I was three. So much like you, I didn't learn about the Tuttle's and the Henry Flagler's. They were names that I knew that were streets or bridges. And it took, you know, being involved in Women's History Month to really learn about Julia Tuttle and how she founded Miami, basically. Is there a recommendation you can give to anyone who's interested in doing this for them to go to a website or the History Miami Museum to get a sense of the history of Miami when they're creating a project?
1: Yeah, definitely. I would say just walking the street, right, and experiencing what we're living and breathing every day, number one, because as you look around and you walk around downtown Miami, we have beautiful architecture and so much history. And so, yes, going up to the History Miami Museum to learn more about how Miami was created, I think is a huge component of what we're trying to do, right? It's all about education. And then that vision comes together through these artists executing these projects that really create the culture that we want to see. And also to give these family-friendly events, right, to This growing community that we now have downtown Miami with all these residents, we want the growing community to feel like a community and have family friendly open events to enjoy our beautiful outdoors. I mean, we have the most beautiful skyline and it's just really exciting to get to activate again now that we're back to normal environment of business. But bringing the arts and culture vibe back to downtown Miami. And, you know, you look at pictures from the 30s and the 40s and music was a thing here and jazz music and, you know, all of the music that's here in Miami right now really is pretty spectacular. You know, I don't think that we ever really had such a vibe like we do now, and it's just nice to see all these cultures come together, and we're really excited to see what type of visionary projects come through this process.
0: Yeah, it's got to be fascinating for you to watch what's coming in, and especially with it being open to so many different possibilities when you talk about everything from music to art to family events and health. What is the process for someone who hears this and says, oh, my gosh, I've had this great idea I've wanted to do for the longest time, and this is the opportunity for me? Where do they start?
1: Well, I think first follow us on social media at Downtown MIA. That definitely is one way that you can apply or also go on our website at www.MiamiDDA.com and you'll be able to apply online through our website there.
0: Are there certain questions that people should know about in advance before they even start the process?
1: Yeah, you definitely want to have a well thought out vision, a location. It's always great. A partner in the sense of funding, right? So although we do want to provide funding for maybe those that have never even had the opportunity to, you know, activate and have an event. We also like to see other partnerships come together and definitely activating the outdoor venues like the Baywalk is big for us. Street, like I mentioned, the vacant art galleries that we're trying to fill too are another opportunity. And then our venues like, you know, the Frost Museum has been a recipient in the past for their Halloween event, going back to the family-friendly portion. But also, you know, the art scene and the murals that have come out of this process too, which I should have mentioned earlier, have been pretty spectacular. If you drive around downtown Miami, you can really see the culture come out and the artwork that's on the buildings that we also helped to create as well.
0: And then in addition to this cultural art aspect of things. You also are working with small businesses in Miami, helping them get permits. <laughs> and yeah. I, I'm like, you know, those are things that until you've run a business, you don't think about, oh, I need permits. What do I need permits for? You know, building permits, licenses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So how is yeah. that working?
1: It's actually been really spectacular. Government mixing with community and helping small businesses has always been a challenge for us, I feel. But this location on Flagler Street, you can actually physically go there, which I think has been half the battle. And educating our small business owners on exactly what you just said, right? So if I want to rent a location and let's say I want to open up a restaurant, nobody really thinks about what goes into that through this permit process. And at our permit clinic, which is open every Thursday from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., We brought together various different city departments from the building department to planning and zoning, one-stop shop. We go into the permit clinic and you can pretty much ask any question and they can navigate whether it's getting your business tax receipt or wanting to understand and navigating the e-plan infrastructure, which is an online system, to applying for certificates of use, let's say, or just explaining what the process is in general for a business owner that's considering to invest in this area. What would it take for these you know, buildings that are a little bit older to get them up to code to be able to activate and actually have a business there. That is also the educational component that comes out of the permitting clinic. And it's really guiding business owners on how to appropriately respond to feedback, schedule inspections, and really just get it done quicker because it's all of the business officials are in one place, which has worked really well. We helped almost 78 businesses in three weeks, which is pretty spectacular.
0: Especially since you're open for one day a week for yeah. five hours. Do you need yeah. an appointment? No, you know, it's been flowing
1: okay so far. If we have to adjust, we will. But for as of now, you can just walk up and there's always somebody available to help. We also have the local law students that have been trained as well. So there's that component where they're learning about the process to help and navigate the very difficult sometimes how to open a business in downtown. And so those law students have been a key to not having that backlog of people waiting lines. For instance, we haven't had that problem not yet.
0: It's so great because, you know, people have great ideas for businesses. And like the example of opening a restaurant, And, you know, I've got mama's recipes, (laughs) but they they don't always know that you can't just go into a place and put an oven in and serve food. There are all sorts of requirements and for any kind of business. And are you supporting people who are not local, but want to open businesses here in Miami?
1: Absolutely. A lot of what our agency does is just that. So we also do outbound missions so to speak, and recruit companies from other places around the nation, even internationally, um, to educate them about downtown Miami and all that we have to offer here in Miami as a business hub. We have a basically concierge service almost that if you're moving your, let's say, headquarters of 100 people and you don't know where would they live or where would those children that they have go to school, for instance. My team helps from soup to nuts navigate all of what it's like to be here when they're actually not physically here to tell that story to convince them to open their business or move their headquarters to Miami.
0: And this is an ongoing project, the Permit Clinic. Is there an end date or anybody can do it at any point as long as it's Thursday between 9 a.m. and 2 p.m.?
1: Yeah, it'll be open every Thursday from 9 to 2. I don't see an end date yet. I'm hoping that the city continues to provide us with the resources and the staff that they're sending. So, so far, we've been told that it's working and they want to keep it. So we're excited to have it there.
0: I've got to thank all of the people in the city's government who are volunteering their time to be there and help businesses come in and get established and be successful the best way to get more information about either of these initiatives that you have going the downtown creative collaborator grants and the permit clinic go to the website
1: yeah definitely www.miamidda.com and all of the information on the permit clinic is there and the grants as well
0: and if someone is interested in becoming part of the Miami DDA Do they volunteer? Do they have to get hired, put in an application? How can they participate?
1: So we have a 15-member board and we're a public agency. So we have meetings every week. We have five committees and then a board meeting every single month. They're all open to the public. We welcome the community to come and participate. It's an open forum. And yeah, it's right in the heart of downtown Miami. We are an open, community-driven organization, so anybody can come and attend and participate in the meetings.
0: And that's part of what you said about Miami being a community. When people get involved, when they show up, and when they meet each other, Everybody becomes friends and they learn to work together. And when everyone works together toward a goal of success and happiness and growth, you just can't go wrong. So very much appreciate what you're doing with the Miami Downtown Development Authority. Is there anything else you want our audience to know while you have our ear? No, we're
1: just really excited. Thank you for the opportunity to be on the show with you. And thank you for what you just said, because it really resonated with me. It's the culture that we're trying to create, not only in the agency, but we want to live with one foot forward here and really be that catalyst organization to help downtown and Miami thrive as a community, as a city, as a whole.
0: Well, we're happy to share your mission. And any time that we can help you move things forward and bring people together, just let us know.
1: Thank you. Appreciate that.
0: Thank you so much. Christina Crespi, CEO, executive director of the Miami Downtown Development Authority. Appreciate so much what you're doing.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Ellen.
0: For our next segment of Community Focus, we're looking at a couple of organizations that save lives and how you can be part of this life-saving mission. There's Legacy Donor Services, Life Alliance, and Donate Life Florida. Um, Legacy is an organization with roots going back to 1947 when the U.S. Navy established the world's first tissue bank, and this led to the possibility of tissue and organ donation for civilians. You will be amazed when you see how many ways they can use tissues and organs, not only for life-saving surgeries, but restoring independent living and self-confidence for burn victims, repairing joints to avoid amputations, sports medicine, orthopedics, trauma of all kinds. And I am really honored to welcome Lehia Maranon. Lehia has a personal story of the importance of tissue and organ donation and the importance of becoming a donor. She herself is a donor mom and an advocate. Lehia. thank you for talking to us today.
2: Thank you so much, Ellen, for having me on the show. I feel honored that I'm able to share my story and to share the importance of organ, eye, and tissue donation.
0: After having spoken to you a little bit before the program, I understand much better just how important it is. And I think most of us, we go to renew our driver's license, we see that little block that says, do you want to be an organ donor? And that's our entire experience with it. But you have a very personal story. And I know it can't be easy to share this, but your passion and your commitment to the mission is evident. And I'm going to ask you if you would share your story of how you became involved with Legacy and Life Alliance and the Donate Life.
2: Well, five years ago, my son was involved in a high-speed car accident. He actually ran into a building. So I received that call that no parent ever wants to receive. At 1.59 in the morning from my son's phone, and I picked up the phone, and I'm like, Ricky, it's 2 a.m., what's up? And it wasn't Ricky. It was the hospital. So, I mean, it was terrible, as you can imagine. They only told me that my son had been in an accident, and I had to go to the hospital. So I got out of the house as quickly as we could. They basically just put us in a room for two and a half hours, and um, they just told me they were stabilizing him. Around 4.30 in the morning, they called us to his room. And while we were in the hallway, the nurse told me that my son's brain was not compatible with life. I always say this because I think that choice of words is not great. I mean, it was just like, what? You know, and you just really don't understand anything. And my son was right behind us in the bed, but he looked like he was sleeping. So we walked into the room and my husband was asking, what's happening? Are they going to do surgery now? And the woman was like, there's really just nothing we could do. A neurosurgeon came in to speak to us and they actually asked me to sign a do not resuscitate form because they had saved his life four times in that meantime that we were waiting. So I signed a do not resuscitate for my son and we would have just been done. But I realized after that, that my son was an organ donor. And I've always been a registered organ donor. And before, when he was renewing his license, he literally called me and was like, Mom, should I be an organ donor? I'm like, Of course, I've been one my whole life. Definitely be one. If we're not using it, somebody else can. And I remembered that. So I had to call a nurse, and they came back and they told me, Well, do you want to reverse the DNR? Because we just signed this. I go, Of course. And then I started that process of donation.
0: And how does that work? I mean, here you are dealing with a son who you know you're in the last moments that you will be with him, and this has to be the most difficult thing to deal with.
2: It's completely unnatural. Everything is like a before and after that incident in your life, but that's why I think it's so important. If you want to be a donor, you need to register to become a donor and let people know and have that conversation People, first of all, have conversations about everything. They want to party. They want to be cremated. They want to be in a box. They want to be buried. But nobody talks about whether or not they want to become an organ donor or tissue and eye donor. But I remembered the conversation with my child and I made the decision right there. But the process after that, for me at least, was better because if I would have just left it at a DNR, I wouldn't have had a little bit of extra time. So what ends up happening is it is a major process for your loved one to become a donor. It isn't just like, oh, he's going to be a donor and we're done. Because sometimes, you know, it's almost impossible to actually be an organ donor, even if you're a registered donor. And then it takes time once you've made that decision to find matches for the person. So my son was actually, this was Saturday to Sunday at 1:59 in the morning, his accident, and he became a donor on the Wednesday following. So I had three days to sort of say goodbye to my son. Even though he wasn't there, I felt better right. being able to say goodbye to him.
0: So when you say, even if you're registered, you may not be able to be a donor, what are the reasons that someone might not be able to have their organs go to someone in need?
2: Well, last year, just to put things into perspective, over million people passed away. And last year, only 14,903 people became deceased donors. And nationwide, about 60% of the population is a registered donor. So if 60% of everybody that deceased was a donor, people on the waiting list would have a much better chance of receiving a match. But that's not the case because the cause of death is really what matters. There's only one way to become a donor, and that's Based on how you pass away, for your organs need to be vital. Typically, I mean, you have to be considered brain dead
0: okay. to be a donor. But the rest of your body has to be, or the organs that are... Right, your
2: body has to be working. So the most common cases that I've seen are high impact brain traumatic injury that's irreversible and you're brain dead because you can have brain damage and still have sign of brain activity. You're not going to be a donor. It's very, very difficult to be a donor.
0: That's why we need so many people to register, because the actual population that becomes eligible,
2: right, is, is very, very
0: small. Okay, very
2: small. Okay, and and, and then there is also if you cannot become an organ donor, you can still become a tissue and eye donor, which my son actually donated tissue to twenty individuals. Wow. Yeah, and he. Donated his two eye corneas, restored sight to two individuals. And actually, he gave organs to five people. My son saved five lives. Okay. So, this Um, has
0: to give you something to take with you after such a, a traumatic situation, losing a son, but knowing that he is carrying on by saving all of these lives and helping so many people live their life in a better way.
2: Absolutely. He saved people from 16 years old to 69 years old. Wow. Which is just, and actually when I was in, this is why it's so important to let your family know what your decision is. I was writing the paperwork. I'm Hispanic. My family's old school. My father did not want to sit in a hospital for three days and he didn't want to watch his daughter sit in a hospital for three days. And so he was like, I lead you, let's not do this, let's not do this. And I was like, dad, There's another family who has a person that actually has an option. What I say to everybody is, if you have a loved one that needs an organ, would you take it? I mean, if your answer is yes, then you should be registering to donate, honestly. So that moment, I'm like, you know, there's people that actually have the option to live. My son doesn't. And if anybody can be saved because of anything that we do, then we're doing it. And another family isn't going through what we went through. So I think that's so important for people they need to share their decision, have the conversation on whether or not this is something they'd like to do. You can really find out more. Right now, I'm really supporting this initiative of these license plates that Donate Life Florida is putting out together so that we can get on the road to saving lives by raising awareness.
0: Now, this is a new license plate, right? this is a new license plate. And if I remember correctly, they need to have something like 3,000 pre-orders before they actually print the plate.
2: Exactly. So we're working really hard on getting those pre-orders because there is a limited window for us to be able to do that. So we want to try to really get that done as soon as possible. Because if you're on the road, those license plates actually make a huge impact and our license plate, I'm not biased or anything, is actually really cute and it's very easy to understand. So I do think it would have a tremendous impact on raising awareness for people to either register or if they are registered to have the conversation and to understand really the impact of organ, eye and tissue donation. I mentioned before, tissue donation is also extremely important because it's life-saving as well.
0: Aren't there some organs or tissues that you can donate while you're still living, like kidneys? Yes. Okay, so you do often hear about when they're looking for someone who can be a match for a kidney, and complete strangers will make a donation of their kidney, and then, of course, they become connected for life and make new friends or family members almost because they have given of themselves to help save someone else's life. So it doesn't always mean that someone has to pass away to be a donor. You can be a donor while you are living. Yeah, and, and- of
2: course. So of the total organ donors last year, there was over 21,000. So 6,000 of them were actually living donors. You can find out everything on the DonateLifeFlorida.org website. But there's a certain thing because a lot of times people are donating to their family member, but sometimes you're not a match. I know a family, it's just the cutest story. The wife wasn't a match with her husband. She actually works at Legacy. This is how you know that these organizations are really doing everything. I mean, even their own staff believes in what they're doing. She wasn't a match for her husband. So she went into a match system where they match you with other families who have family members that they don't match with. So if you match with their family member and they match with your family member, you are really interconnected because it's like you're saving each other's family's life. And so that actually somebody from Legacy had this story where she donated it to a little girl and that person's family member donated it to her husband. It's wow. Beautiful,
0: beautiful oh, story. my gosh. Yeah. Talk about karma in full circle. It's yeah, amazing. Incredible.
2: So they always say like connect to purpose and it really is purposeful.
0: That's the ultimate giving.
2: They say it's the ultimate gift. The most selfless gifts. I mean, really, it's incredible. I know that for me, being able to talk about it and raise awareness for it and understand that there's other people, not only are we helping to save lives by raising this awareness, but we're also giving hope to these recipients. This is what you're really bringing into this world. You know, what can we leave behind? What legacy are we really leaving? You can't determine how Our life ends, but you can definitely determine if you can make an impact after it does. And if you can't be a donor because you're not eligible, the intent is there. It makes you feel a little bit better about the type of life that you're living.
0: And just using the license plate is a way of helping by increasing awareness of the need for organ donors. It's so important because what we really need, as you said, is 100% donation. And I understand from the Legacy Donor Services Foundation website that one of the things they really need, and this is very important in South Florida, is Hispanic donors because they're underrepresented in the donation program.
2: They're underrepresented and they have a greater risk of developing renal disease and they're underrepresented on the registry list because Hispanics have more fear. You know, there's myths regarding donation.
0: One of the ones that I know a lot of people are concerned about is the religious aspect of donating organs. According to Legacy Donor Services, there is no religion that has anything that says you can't donate it.
2: Exactly. There isn't any. So if you have any religious doubt, you really should just check with your rabbi or your priest or whoever your spiritual leader is because it has been approved by all major religious organizations. And there was a famous rabbi quote about it that says basically it's like the ultimate Mitzvah to be
0: able to give the gift of life and the Pope has approved it. Life always comes first. That is the first priority. So what I want to do is direct our listeners to a couple of websites. First of all, Legacy DS. Foundation.com. That's Legacy Donor Services. They're here in Florida. They've got offices in Miami. They service Dade, Broward, Palm Beach Counties, our whole South Florida area. And of course, you must take a look at the Donate Life Florida license plate. And that website is? DonateLifeFlorida.org. DonateLifeFlorida.org. Leahy, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story. Five years, you said, and yet still... Your son is ever-present with you and will be for life.
2: He really is, and I'm sure he gives me like my source of strength for everything like this, which I know is so important to really help raise awareness for something that saves lives. And Ellen, thank you and Cox Media Group for being so involved with our community because by you putting this information out in the air, you're really letting the community know And raising awareness for a topic that is so important.
0: Yeah. And I know that people who are recipients of organ and tissue donations and their families, you know, it's not always a child whose life is saved. Sometimes it's a parent whose life is saved or a sibling or a best friend. Anyone who's important to you, if that donation is available for them, that impacts you as well. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of all of us thinking of each other. And yeah. a, a simple, you know, register or support with the license plate, DonateLifeFlorida.org. Lehia Maranon, you are an incredibly strong person. And thank you again for advocating for this important service and for sharing your own story. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to Community Focus this morning. If you have questions about today's show or would like to suggest a topic, please feel free to email me at ellen.jaffe, J-A-2-F-1-E, at cmg.com. Join us again next Sunday for an all-new edition of Community Focus, and have a wonderful day.
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra.